come from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I think it's going into 19, actually, but please, please turn there now. Yeah, 12, verse, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And as you're turning there, think about this. Imagine if the reason that you had a guest preacher this morning was because your pastor was in prison for preaching the gospel. How would that make you feel? That sets the stage for us as Paul is writing from prison. And he's speaking about his imprisonment here in verse 12. Let's read together. I'll read aloud as you listen and follow. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Let's pray. Father God, Father of all mercies, illumine our hearts this morning as we study your word. Lord, bless the, the proclamation of your word and bless the receiving and hearing of your word that you might fill us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine what it would be like to be alive in the days of Paul in this church in Philippi. And imagine hearing this word that the Apostle Paul, the, the, the Apostle to the Gentiles, who planted your church just a few years ago, is now in prison for preaching the gospel. How do you think that church might have felt hearing that Paul was in prison? Do you think that was an intimidating thought to them? Maybe they were fearful for themselves. Maybe they thought, if this can happen to Paul, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to be okay? Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were worried about the gospel. If this is the apostle to the Gentiles, what's going to happen to the gospel to the Gentiles? Who's going to carry it forth? We don't know exactly how they felt, but we can imagine it ourselves. And we can see what Paul wrote to them in the midst of this situation with him being in prison. And Paul wrote in these words to encourage them something, to tell them nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. Nothing can stop Christ from accomplishing his purposes. And so rejoice when the gospel is proclaimed because we know that God is going to accomplish all that he has set out to do. His word never comes back null and void. It always accomplishes its purpose. Nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. Look with me to verse 12. In these first couple verses, Paul is going to assure them that, look, this imprisonment has not stopped the advance of the gospel. Do you see what he says in verse 12? 
He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Do you hear that? His imprisonment didn't slow down the gospel. It actually advanced it. It, it pushed it out further. If this is a military campaign, the, the battle lines are moving forward. It's not going backwards. This hardship of imprisonment that has come into Paul's life, God has brought it there for good. He has a purpose to accomplish through this imprisonment. It's advancing the gospel. It has happened to him, and we, we know the enemy comes against us. The enemy comes against the church. But God is in control of all things. So you need not be afraid when hardship arises, when persecution arises. God can use persecution and imprisonment to advance the gospel. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. This is still going on today. God is still using hardships to advance the gospel. Well, how exactly was he advancing the gospel through Paul's imprisonment? Well, he was advancing it to unbelievers. Look what it says in verse 13. He says, So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I love those last two words there. Do you see those two words? For Christ. His imprisonment was for a purpose. It was for Christ. If you're looking at a New King James Version, it says, In Christ. That his imprisonment was in Christ. Christ was with him and had a purpose for him in prison. Paul was really an ambassador in chains for the gospel. God had sent Paul into the prison as a missionary to the prison. And do you see what's happening to the unbelievers there, to the unbelieving guards? It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that Paul's imprisonment was for Christ. They were talking about the gospel with one another. They were saying, this prisoner, he's not an ordinary prisoner who committed some crime. This is a religious prisoner who's here for a religious reason, for the gospel. He's here for Jesus Christ. Paul's imprisonment had them talking about Christ. And maybe you've found this before in your own life. Sometimes a hardship comes into your life, but it opens up a door at times for you to talk about the gospel. Maybe you have an illness and you have to go to the hospital, but it gives you an opportunity to witness to people at the hospital. Or maybe you have some sort of hardship in your family. One of your, your children has a need or a special need, and that opens up a door for you to talk to other parents who have gone through something similar. God can use all kinds of hardships, even imprisonment, to give us opportunities to speak to unbelievers about the gospel and to bring the unbelievers to them and to, to win an, an ear with them. It seems that, th that he has an ear with these guards. I can't imagine that relationships between guards and prisoners were always good. But Paul has been blessed by God to share the gospel with these guards. His imprisonment is for Christ. Christ had him there for a purpose and was accomplishing that purpose through the imprisonment. Praise God for that. But God didn't just use this imprisonment to reach the gospel to unbelievers, he also used the imprisonment to encourage the believers in Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 14. 
Paul writes, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's incredible. This imprisonment had become an encouragement to the believers. Look what it says. First he says, they have become confident in the Lord. That is, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ had been strengthened. Their confidence in their salvation had been strengthened. By what? By Paul's imprisonment. (laughs) You might expect the opposite to happen, right? Paul's in prison. We talked about this in the beginning. Maybe you hear your pastor's in prison. You might become afraid. But the opposite had happened. God had used this imprisonment to give them confidence in the Lord. And not only confidence in the Lord, but confidence and boldness to speak the word into an unbelieving world. Do you see what they were doing? They had become much more bold to speak the word without fear. His imprisonment had driven out fear from them. Before, it seems, they had been less confident. Before, they had been less bold. Before, when they spoke, they had fear. But now they were without fear. They were speaking much more boldly, and they had become confident. How could this happen? We think of what Paul wrote to the Romans in the book of Romans. Let me read to you a very famous passage from Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. They had read this from Paul. They knew that Paul said he believed this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to those words. I can't think of a more powerful affirmation of God's love for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm sure those words were an encouragement when they first read that letter from Paul years before. They hadn't met Paul when he had written the letter to the Romans. But now here was Paul in prison. We're pretty sure it was at Rome. We're not 100% sure. But here's Paul in prison, presumably at Rome, and they're seeing this Bible verse before their eyes. Paul didn't just write it. He lived it. So that he's in prison, and he's experiencing all the love of God. He's experiencing God's comfort. He's experiencing God's power. And he has God's love so richly in him that he's pouring out love to the guards. He's pouring out love probably to other prisoners. He's pouring out love to the church. And he's spending his time in prison writing letters to the churches to encourage them. These Roman believers saw the love of God up close and personal. And that's a powerful thing to see. When we see someone imprisoned for the gospel or being persecuted for the gospel, it can fill us with love. It can fill us with with boldness. Now, it doesn't always do it right away. Think of Jesus' disciples whenever he was arrested. What did they do? They ran away. And perhaps they didn't really understand the resurrection yet. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, then what? He called them all back to himself. He called those disciples back to himself and he sent them out to preach and to suffer for the word, and for many of them to die for the word. And they became confident in the Lord over time. 
And we don't know exactly the trajectory of these Roman believers if they felt discouraged at first, but here they are being confident and bold to speak the word without fear. And, and we might all pray that for ourselves, that we would become confident in the Lord and much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is an incredible work of God. Because think about it, now Paul is spreading the gospel to the imperial guard. And this Roman church is spreading the gospel to the people outside the prison. He's multiplied the gospel preaching. God has amplified, supercharged the preaching of the gospel through Paul's imprisonment. And he's strengthened the believers and he's brought the word to more and more unbelievers. Looking at verses 12 and 13 and 14, it should be clear to us that imprisonment had not stopped the advance of the gospel. It had only enhanced it. Nothing outside of the church can stop the gospel. Jesus assured us that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And Satan is attacking us all the time in many ways. And the attacks from the outside will ultimately fail, but also the attacks from the inside will ultimately fail. Because Satan will seek to strike the church by attacking people from the inside, by raising up wolves among the sheep. Can the wolves stop the advance of the gospel? That's the topic that Paul addresses in these next four verses. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Just stop there for a minute. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry? That sounds like it should be an oxymoron. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense. How can you preach Christ from envy and rivalry? That's hypocrisy, brothers and sisters. And sadly, it still exists today, and it will exist until Jesus Christ returns. People preaching Christ from false motives, from envious motives, because they want to be someone important, because they see themselves as rivals. And this is what Paul was experiencing, people preaching Christ because they wanted to be greater than Paul. That's a wicked way to be. And whenever we see hypocrisy in the church, we could fall into the thinking that the whole church is hypocritical. We can see corruption in the church, and we can start to feel as if the whole church is corrupt from top to bottom. But Paul would not let himself fall into this way of thinking. Do you see what he says? He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. He remembered and recognized that there were brothers and sisters in Christ who were preaching from goodwill, from right motives. He saw God's hand at work in them. He builds on that thought in the next verse, in verse 16. 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. This is a picture of Christian love of not just having affection for one another, but standing alongside one another when we're going through hardship. They were preaching the gospel out of love for Paul, out of love for Christ, and out of love for Paul's mission, which was Christ's mission, which was to bring the gospel to the nations. So they were preaching out of love, knowing that he was put here for the defense of the gospel. He was imprisoned to defend the gospel, so what did they do? They took up their shields of faith, their sword of the Spirit. They stood side by side with Paul to fight. 
It's something that he'll urge them to do later in this, uh, in this letter, to stand side by side with one another for the faith of the gospel. And this is his command to us that we ought to continually stand side by side and labor side by side together to endure with one another, to press on with one another, to forget about ourselves and to consider um, one another more important than ourselves. He says in chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's how we are to live, and this is how these brothers were living. And this is how you ought to live, to stand side by side with one another, to strive for the gospel, to be there with one another when you're suffering, especially when we're suffering on behalf of Christ. I read in, in your prayer email about um, a, a woman in Rhode Island who was being persecuted for handing out co copies of the Gospel of John. And we think of this as an opportunity for the Christian church to stand alongside a sister who is being persecuted for her faith. This is a beautiful picture of the church. And it's right alongside an, an ugly picture of something that happens in the church which he returns to here in verse 17. Look at 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. Brothers and sisters, that should not be so. The gospel of grace humbles us. It brings us low. It, it focuses us on the glory of God, that we would do all things to the glory of God. But these people were preaching Christ from selfish ambition. They cared about themselves first, and they were ambitious to be important. Instead of being God-glorifiers, they were self-glorifiers. And this makes us think of the evil one, of Satan. Selfish ambition. Um, this is the description of someone who is living as a son of Satan. It's a very sad picture. We should not be ambitious for ourselves. Christ and his glory should be our number one ambition. They were thinking only of themselves, which is an opposite of love. Rather than laying down their lives and caring about each other, they were caring about themselves. And it says right here, they were not sincere. Do you see that? Not sincerely, that is, hypocritically, they were preaching the gospel. They weren't practicing the things they were preaching. We can presume here from what Paul's writing that they were preaching basically a true gospel. They weren't preaching a false gospel. That's not the sense we get from this passage. They were preaching the truth, but with a wrong motive. Not just selfish ambition, but also motivated by hatred. Do you see what he says? The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. That is a wicked reason to preach the gospel, to try to inflict, afflict Paul. What's the logic there? I think what Paul is saying is, they were preaching the gospel, but in a divisive manner, to try to divide the church, or to try to cause social unrest in the society, so that the, the government would look at Paul and say, here, this is the ringleader of these people, and we have him in prison, so this, why don't we execute him? Perhaps they were trying to lead to a tough trial for Paul, because he was going to stand on trial for what he had done, and the charge was going to be insurrection or something like that causing social unrest. So it seemed that these false-motived preachers were preaching the gospel in such a way as to harm Paul. 
It grieves the spirit when the church acts like this. We rightly grieve when we see corruption in the church. It breaks our hearts. I bet you that you have experienced corruption in the church or that you've experienced hatred in the church. I wouldn't be surprised if many of you have had a difficult experience with a pastor or with leadership or with other Christians. It's common because we're all sinners. We're all in need of the grace of God. But let me ask you to step back for a minute and to remember the sovereignty of God and to remember how God will accomplish his mission. And, and I ask you this, can this corruption stop the advance of the gospel? Can it stop Christ's purposes in the church? We've seen it harm churches, but can it really stop the advance of the gospel? With that in mind, look at verse 18. What then, Paul writes, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is a wicked situation, but Paul finds a reason to rejoice in it. He rejoices that the gospel is being preached. We think there's a lot of churches that are corrupt. There's a lot of problems with the church in America, but there are a lot of places where the word is being read. And there are a lot of places where the basic gospel message is being preached. And we always have reason to rejoice when the word is being read and when the gospel is being preached. There's always reason for us to rejoice because we know that God will accomplish his purposes through his word. And you'll experience this. You can go to churches that are apostate, that have forsaken the truth, but there's some remnant there still of the word, and you'll find people in those churches that, that are genuine believers. They might not know better why, the church is, why we call the church apostate, but they have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ because they heard the scriptures being read or they heard some piece of the gospel being preached and they sought it out and God changed their hearts. It's incredible. There's always reason to rejoice. Yes, there are problems with the church, but the gates of hell will not prevail. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart because Christ has overcome the world. So don't be afraid. Christ will accomplish his purposes, brothers and sisters whether it be through imprisonment or through corruption, God cannot be stopped. You need not to be afraid. Do not be afraid at the fiery trial when it comes against you to test you. As we think about ourselves and we see all of the upheaval in the world and we think, is God really still in control? You can start to feel it as if maybe God's not in control. This text this morning reminds us, in all things, God is in control. In all things, God has a purpose for us. Uh, in all things, he's working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So don't be afraid. And we can see America become more and more hostile towards Christianity. And that can be discouraging. But we see here that, Paul, that God used Paul's imprisonment to power charge the gospel. And it could be that God could use persecution of Christians in this country to lead to revival, to lead to people coming to Christ, because he can use persecution to actually increase our confidence in the Lord, and to increase our boldness to speak the word without fear. 
to, to reinforce the things that we know we believe deep down but haven't been as thoroughly tested as they could be. Sometimes when persecution comes, we go through these tests and trials, and then we discover just how strong Christ is in us, how powerfully he has changed us and converted us, how sure we are of his work in us, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Brothers and sisters, rejoice that the gospel is going forth, that God is accomplishing his purpose, and that nothing, nothing will ever stop God from accomplishing his purpose on this earth. Let's pray. God, we look to you this morning. We're thankful for your word. The world can feel like a place that's completely out of sorts and out of control, but we know it's not out of control because all things are under your control. We think of Jesus Christ seated on the throne in heaven. We think of his blood that he shed on the cross to wash us clean of all of our sin and his resurrection from the dead where he defeated death. Lord, we think to the day when Jesus Christ will come back and make all things new, when the dead will rise, when the believers in heaven will be reunited with the believers on earth and everything will be at peace, that God's perfect reign and rule will be completely realized over all the face of the earth, Lord. We look to that day, we, we anticipate that day, and we pray, Lord, that you would hasten the day when Jesus Christ comes back. But as long as we are here, Lord, on this earth, before Jesus comes, Lord, we pray that you would use us and you would bless us. You would give us courage to speak the word without fear. Lord, we know sometimes hardship comes into our life and that you bring it into our life to give us that courage, Lord, and we don't, we're not afraid. We do not need to be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to you, Lord. And we know that your peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.